welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings a human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. One of the most interesting areas of innovation today in machine learning and artificial intelligence is natural language processing, or NLP. It's basically about teaching machines to both understand human language and then reproduce convincing human language in return. Our guest on this episode and her company build what they call machines that can read and write. Amy Heineke is the VP of Engineering at Primer.ai, and I talked to her about how she and her team are using applied machine learning techniques to build software that tells stories from data. In particular, we talked about Quicksilver, a project to fill some gaps in Wikipedia by producing new content for people that didn't have pages that probably should have. So without any further ado, let's dig in. Welcome everybody to the Masters of Data podcast, and I'm really excited to be here with Amy Heineke today in her uh, downtown San Francisco office, a very cool office. Thank you for letting me come here and talk to you. Thank you so much, Ben. We were talking about this a little bit before, but like I always love to do on these podcasts, I just want to find more about you. You know, mm -hmm. what led you to where you are today at, you know, Primer? You're, uh, you know, head up engineering, product engineering here, mm -hmm. but kind of in a data science realm. But what led you that direction? What's, what's your story? Yeah, so I've been very driven by curiosity and had a little bit of a strange winding path to get here. <laughs> I started out actually as a mathematician and got super interested in kind of complexity theory and like ideas for how you could kind of tell stories about what's going on in the world. Yeah thinking about kind of different mathematical patterns. I had spent a while doing kind of transportation economics, um, modeling cities, and then wondered where you could get more data from. And then when I moved to the US, got the opportunity to work with a um, startup company, and then got into kind of NLP and modeling data to try and figure out the stories from it. So yeah, it's been like kind of an interesting winding path. And then for Primer, I have been with the company since it's founded. and. The CEO and I had had kind of a bunch of long conversations about what we thought was possible with NLP now and how we could kind of. And so uh, for make the, it, not everybody listening might know what NLP is. So NLP, yeah, sorry. So um, natural <clears throat> language processing. So the idea of having algorithms that could extract information from text, so free text yeah. that people write. So what we were seeing is that there was a lot that was possible with those algorithms. So lots that we could actually learn from text. And we wanted to build tools that would let people understand vastly more content quickly. So I, I came in at Primer since, uh, since the beginning and then have been kind of on this great journey of building out the technology and then building out the team. So we're now kind of 70 people, Series B raised last fall. Um, so it's like uh, action stations. Yeah, wild ride. <laughs> yeah, wild ride. I've got a chance to interview a bunch of different data scientists and yeah. it's... It's, well, it's kind of a broad term, but it's really interesting to see yeah. the different backgrounds that people yeah. come from. Because I noticed like a few people come from mathematics, some come, yeah. surprisingly never come from physics. And, yeah. uh, you know, some people just random places. So yeah. you just enjoyed math and like, you know, basically started liking to apply that. Is that kind of like how it was in, happened in your mind? Yeah, that's right. So, so when I first started working in, in Silicon Valley, my, my first startup, it was weird to have a mathematician on the team and, uh, there was like kind of a, you know, oh, really? why are you here? So that was 2008. <laughs> and I think around that time, it was when I think DJ 
and uh, DJ Patel and kind of the group over at LinkedIn coined the data science phrase. Uh, okay. And so it, it became something that was a bit easier to talk about. Uh, there are a bunch of different kind of paths people have taken in. Um, so certainly like on our team, we've got people from kind of computational science background. So uh, computational chemistry, biology, astrophysics. We've got people who actually had kind of humanities backgrounds and then switched into computer science. And now there's actually tracks, right? There's clearer tracks for kind of ML and AI data science programs. So we've got people who've kind of come through those. But I think that's kind of some of what's really fun about it in that like there's a ton of hard problems to solve that aren't necessarily like that clearly from one domain. You need yeah. people who are kind of super curious and then have a bag of tricks that they can kind of throw at it and then aren't afraid to learn new things. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the themes on the podcast has been is, you know, connecting the humanities to science and like partly the way I interpret a lot of what I've heard is that you have to bring a, a diverse set of people to a problem because if you don't, then the your solution is going to be skewed. It's going to be, yeah. you know, biased in one way versus the other. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's right. And I think what we've also been very aware of is that there are just a lot of different kinds of problems you have to solve to build kind of data-driven products. So there's this kind of obvious piece in the middle, which is like, I'm going to make an ML algorithm, say. So, you know, if I feed in the data, how well can I predict the labels? But actually, there's a whole universe of stuff that goes around that. So for us, uh, you know, we want to figure out ways to condense information and present something that might look like a first-year analyst. So normally, if you hear that, you think, okay, that's, you know, is that possible? What does that even mean? Um, but there's a ways of breaking that down to kind of little steps, and then every one of those steps may be a problem that you can figure out how to solve. Yeah. So first of all, you know, start out by figuring out in a big corpus of data who are the people that are talked about, say. So that becomes a more tractable problem. But figuring out how to frame it, that's one thing. And then figuring out how you present that data. So, you know, if I showed you information from text, what other things would you need to see to believe that? You know, do you need to see the original text? Do you need to, like, have a confidence score? Or do you need to see other information that kind of makes makes a case. So there's, there's some really interesting kind of user experience questions of if, yeah, if I'm building a data-driven product, how is a person going to interact with that? And wh what do they need to see and how are they going to work with it? And then there's all of these like deployment questions and um, kind of system building questions. And so when you kind of look across it, you're like, there's actually this really wide range of skill sets. And so it's kind of useful when you have people who kind of bridge unexpected combinations of them. Mm. So like a bit of design and then a bit of algorithms or like some DevOps and I don't know, yeah. infrastructure engineering. And then it makes it easier to figure out some like interesting solutions. So it's based on the maturing of data science, I guess, moving from some sort of, uh, you know, these things that are done in a university campus with a small team to actually, right. like, you know, turning it into a real thing in the real world. You have mm -hmm. to, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things, uh, Amy, when you and I got introduced and finding out about some of the really cool stuff that you work on, one of the projects that came up was this Quicksilver project. So yeah. it's one of the things you've done at, at Primer. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about that. What is, what is Quicksilver? We had this idea that it would be cool to generate Wikipedia pages automatically. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the input data to that? Well, so we started thinking about scientists to start with. So there's a lot of scientists out there. There's a lot who are doing really interesting, impactful science. And of those, only a, only a portion of them have Wikipedia pages. So what we were wondering is, could we make Wikipedia pages for the ones who didn't have them? Yeah. So Wait, how did you find out that they, they didn't have them in the, in the first place? How did you? Yeah. So actually, I mean, Wikipedia is really interesting, right? So it's, it's this huge resource that's 
really wonderful when you interact with it. There's loads we can learn about. Like we all go and yeah. look up stuff all the time, right? Maybe more than we admit. But there's actually like big kind of recall problems. There's big holes in it. So there's actually a lot of missing content. So one example that was like, that's pretty stark about this was there's a, a woman called Donna Strickland who won the Nobel Prize in Physics. So a yeah. woman won it for the first time in 50 years. The morning she got the Nobel Prize in Physics, like the call, she didn't have a Wikipedia page. Seriously? Wow. Completely missing. Wow. There's some interesting stories there about what they've been finding out about, you know, why that was the case and, you know, how, how they're trying to address that. But, but in general, there's actually a lot more people missing than makes sense. And there's been some interesting research on the biases behind that. So it turns out, in particular, it seems like women and other underrepresented minorities may be underreported compared to other groups. There's a lot of people who think very carefully about this. But that got us thinking. So I think for, for scientists, what we were able to do is start out by getting this enormous list of scientists from our friends over at the Allen Institute for AI, so the people that make Semantic Scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a list of 200,000 scientists where they'd you know, collected publication information about them and citation records. So we mm-hmm. could start with that big list and find people with you know, a decent publication record, join those to news data. So we have an archive now of about half a billion news articles wow. in English from the last three and a half years. And so we had to build some pretty smart disambiguation algorithms so we make mm. sure we get the right person. Yeah. That's not always obvious. So my favorite example of a disambiguation problem is um, so the, the Michael Jordan of AI, who is actually a computer scientist professor called Michael Jordan, who's <laughs> over at the University of Berkeley. Um, so yeah, if you Google him, uh, he wrote a really nice piece about the future of AI, the blog post this summer. If you go and try and find it, if you just Google Michael Jordan, <laughs> you might be out of luck. So you've got to add other stuff, right? So um, like the fact that he's at Berkeley, you may do it. The fact he's interested in ML, AI might do it, but you need to have some kind of embedding of like other, other terminology that, that's about him. Mm-hmm. And then, then you can make sure you get the right papers so, um, or the right documents. So the, so the first thing we did is we built these models so we could join scientists to then news data. Mm. And then we had a really cool list Right. Oh, sorry. And we also joined that to Wikipedia. So we could Mm -hmm. say, do they have Wikipedia content about them or not? Um, But then we had a really interesting list. You can scan down, you can see news coverage, citations. Do they have Wikipedia page or not? Yeah. Um, We could find people who are missing. And yeah, as I said, there's some people who are super interesting who don't have those pages. Mm. I remember when I was I was I was looking at the data. I mean, there is it is pretty amazing that there is such significant holes in that. So, I mean, as part of what I understood yeah. is that you guys basically were able to use what you built to start filling some of those holes. Is that right? So basically yeah. you were... Well, so we, we had a training set from this data, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. for the people who have Wikipedia pages and have news, yeah. we could look at, you know, what is the content that's represented in news that makes it into Wikipedia pages? Mm. So that tends to be biographical information. So, you know, where do they come from? Who are they? What are their interests? Where are they researching? For scientists, you know, what are the major themes of their research? What have they been discovering? So yeah, we could build a model. So we, we have a really fun model that can take sentences from news articles and figure out whether they look like sentences from Wikipedia pages. And we also have models that can structure content out of those sentences so figure out like field of research institution awards they've won that kind of stuff and so we're able to build a model of that mapping so from news what would we extract to put into a wikipedia page i mean how much of that was was already in existence because i guess like when i 
when I listen to it, it might sound like it's easy to compare content, but I'm guessing that that's that's pretty hard to to say that this is talking about the same thing as this as this, as this text. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting, right? Because you, it's not enough to just look at the words, be like, oh, yeah. these words look like words that are on the page. It's also the the way that those sentences are structured. Um, so the, the kind of grammatical structures that are in the text. So there's been a lot of really interesting recent progress in the NLP, so yeah. the natural language processing field. I think when we started out, we were able to kind of play with like LSTM models, so sequence to sequence models. So you kind of feed in the sequence of words into the model yeah. and it can build up a representation and then kind of inform this classification and you know, does this look like that kind of content? Mm. And it can learn from a lot of different grammatical features. So yeah, we're definitely kind of doing this at a very interesting time yeah. in this field, right? So there are major papers, major new models that are coming out very, very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives us a, a, some great foundations to kind of work from. So really interesting inputs to kind of play around with. So yeah, it's definitely not an easy thing to do. Yeah. But it's, it's increasingly um, possible. So what we found when we applied those models is we actually got surprisingly good summaries. Yeah. So there's a blog post on our website where we outlined this methodology in more detail. And we actually um, uh, put up data for this training set, so examples of the sentences um, from news that we found that went into the pages. So you can kind of play around with that. And then we've also got um, a, a page up where we show a bunch of these profiles that are generated. But yeah, as I said, they're, su- they're, su- they're surprisingly good, right? Yeah. They're surprisingly good. What I should say that I think is very interesting about this project is our goal was not to just post these straight to Wikipedia. Right. Um, and we haven't done that. We haven't posted them to Wikipedia. Instead, what we've done is we've looked for like people who um, are working to add a lot of pages to Wikipedia. So there's a, a woman, for example, at Imperial College London researcher called Jessica Wade, who in the last year added 270 Wikipedia profiles for female um, physicists and scientists. Wow. Um, so basically she got into her research program and said like, oh, you know, there's not many women around and the ones that are around, like, you know, don't have very much content about them. So she just went on a mission to like, whenever she found someone cool, just write the page for them and post it. And then there's other groups who are doing, who organize editathons. So they get a bunch of people together and they say like, let's get a list of people that we wish, you know, have pages and, or people that have pages, but they're out of date. Um, and let's go edit them. So, so people like that, what's great is um, they can use tools like this so that it, it's a much, much faster job. So they, you know, the machine does all of this heavy lifting of searching for all this content, pulling out the things that you probably want to see. The machine can go do all of this hard work of scanning through lots of content and finding the information that you probably yeah. want to put in a page yeah. and bring it all together. And also actually get all the reference together, references together, so the links back to the original content, put that in the Wikipedia format and yeah. assemble that all. So if you're going in and making the page, um, what you're doing is looking and saying like, does this make sense? Is this cohesive? Like, is this story well told? Are there major things that are missing that we should include? Yeah. Like, you know, is this the right neutral tone of voice? Is it worded the way that Wikipedia wants it to be worded? And you can do that final pass before you go and post it. And I think so. One of the things that we've we've thought a lot about is that that kind of interface between people and the algorithms that you build yeah. for them, right? So you don't just want to build an algorithm. Well, I don't know. There are definitely some use cases where, like, it, it's really great to yeah. just build an algorithm that automates everything. Well, I had imagined when I first started reading about what you guys have done yeah. that there would be a, 
algorithms with differing opinions that would argue on Wikipedia. Mm. You, know, <laughs> the, you know, automate some of the drama. The comment was, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. No, that's incorrect. <laughs> yeah. But basically, um, it does seem to be a bit of a, a common theme I'm seeing in, in talking to people that yeah. I would have expected more of this kind of automated, you know, quote unquote AI that would just like, we'll just go do it and figure out. And there is a, quite a bit of that, but it does seem to be like what you guys are doing, there's a recognition that it's it's really good to insert some sort of, you know, yeah. you, you're actually enhancing the human, not just, because basically now what you're doing is you're allowing, you're, you're allowing these people to fill these holes, these really important yeah. holes in Wikipedia really much faster, but you're not replacing them. You're just making them much more effective. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think it, it kind of makes sense, right? If we're going into intelligence, yeah, um, we're going into systems where like, you know, these are like important and thoughtful tasks, right? So yeah. um, I think for Wikipedia, it's they have whole systems of process for, you know, an individual makes a page, there's editors that that's yeah. forwarded to, there's, yeah, comment processes. Like there's a whole world that they've built around those pages. It's not just you write the page and it's there. There's actually a whole process. And those processes are what, you know, make the the quality of the content what it is mm. but that that's true actually of kind of all human intelligence systems mm. that we see so we often work with analysts in different industries so you know they're not so they're, they're people who are making very important and hard decisions so for example in the financial industry we work with people who are making long-term bets about the futures of companies so, you mm. know who do we think is going to succeed or um, where are industries going? What are these big trends? Does it make sense to try and build a system that just says like, you know, tries to simplify answer, yeah. this and just give you an answer? Yeah. You know, if, if you can be correct all the time, like fine, but if you're not quite correct, then what, right? So what you need is to be a useful input into the systems that people have built. So empower analysts or empower people who are making decisions to ha have the tools to be way smarter or may maybe much faster mm -hmm. in ingesting the information so they can then go do a much better job than they would have done without it. And actually, I think that goes back to the question of, uh, you know, the diversity of teams, right? So that's why some of this is complicated. If we were just automating systems, it would be much more straightforward to know what to do because you yeah. could say, like, here's the input and the output. Like, let's match those up as well as we can. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're saying, like, you know, here's a person doing a job that's really hard. How do we make them, yeah, how do we superpower that person? What, yeah. what is it that they need? You know, that's less obvious. You know, what is the thing that, that most uh, speeds them up? So, yeah. you know, so for this Wikipedia work for Quicksilver, what is it that is the most useful thing that you can have in front of you to help you write those pages that you want? What do you need to see to make mm -hmm. that work well? Well, you know, one thing that comes to, to mind there as well um i've it's come up a couple times where mm. you know what the human does in the process mm. i'd run this past you to see if this resonates with you because it's, yeah. it's it's partly not just having a human to have a human but also because there's a sense of basically caring of you know yeah. essentially giving a damn about what's going to happen and yeah. particularly in this case i mean you're you're talking about probably the reason why there's holes here is because there wasn't enough people caring about it and now that you have people that are really passionate about this mm. That's partly what the human provides in the process is that they they actually care about the outcome, and that's mm -hmm. what produces a better outcome. I mean, is that does that resonate with you based on what you're seeing? Yeah, that's right. So having people who care in the loop is is really important, and I think one of the 
the interesting challenges with kind of machine learning and AI, right, is um, if you have systems that are trained on previous data, mm -hmm. they're going to predict what we've seen in the past. Right. Um, that's the kind of inherent part of the system, right? Models don't generalize necessarily beyond the, the, the inputs they that they had. Yeah. What they had. Um, but we live in a world that's changing very rapidly. New things are happening that don't fit the models of the past. And some of the things that happened in the past are not things we want to keep having happen in the future. So there may be, you know, Amazon did this interesting project where they tried to build systems that would figure out which resumes they should give offers to. Oh, so given yeah, yeah. a resume, figure out yeah. yeah, whether to give an offer to it. And then they found out when they examined the model that they built that it basically screened women out. So if you were like on a women's right. rugby team, that would count against you. So... So the model may have done a very good job of saying, okay, here's actually the relationship between the resume and then who we gave an yeah. offer to. But that, you know, isn't what Amazon wants to do in the yeah. future. And so, you know, good on them for realizing this and then pulling the plug on the project. Yeah. It's difficult, right? So I think if, if you build the machine and just uh, fully automate, then what you're going to get is something that does what it's seen in the past. I think people, people are able to be very thoughtful about intent. They're mm. able to be reflective about you know, how should I interpret this? Is this what we want? Do we believe that these trends will continue? Having people in the loop, there's actually a lot of reasons why that might be useful. If you can be building algorithms that are telling you about the data or kind of flagging, these are the patterns we see in there, they don't have to be self-fulfilling prophecies, right? We can be thoughtful about building tools that are empowering and informative. But, you know, this is a huge question for our field, right? Yeah. When do you want the, the history to be yeah. kind of embedded in the, in the future? Well, there's so many questions about the bias and, yeah. you know, um, we had Kathy O'Neill on earlier. Oh, you great. Know, yeah. Great. Just, I remember like, reading her book, it just kind of mm -hmm. mind blown, but it was like, it was, it was part of that is that there's, I think we're, the society seems to be waking up mm -hmm. to the idea that, you know, basically, well, they wouldn't call it algorithms, but basically, you know, some of this, some of this stuff, you know, quote unquote AI running loose doesn't actually produce like the outcome that a lot of people would expect. So I think having people that are really being thoughtful about it, like you're, like what you're talking about now, I think is, is, is super important because, you know, other, otherwise there's going to be, I mean, essentially there's going to be a backlash to it if, if we don't, yeah. you know. But I think also, you know, we're already in a situation where there's so much content in the world that we're interacting with yeah. that we can't interact with at all. Yeah. So we have ways of filtering that down. So some of them are from other algorithms, right? So we read what's on our Twitter feed or we yeah. read what's you know, shared with us on, on Facebook or we, we, you know, we have some idea of how we narrow down and select stuff. We see this with, uh, so we work with kind of analyst teams we, who are basically, you know, tend to have huge inboxes where there's way more than they can read and right, they'll right. do things like you know, skim reading. And yeah. we're already in a situation where it's hard to grapple with the amount of information that we have. And we, we do have to have some kind of algorithm for helping us figure out how we navigate that. Yeah. Um, even if the algorithm is just like us randomly picking things. <laughs> um, yeah. So th there's some hard problems here where it, it's not necessarily just, you know, if we have AI, we introduce bias. And if we don't have it, we're fine. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> we're we already, already in bias. trouble. We're already in a biased world. We have thousands already... of years of practice. <laughs> yeah, we've, you know. <laughs> Even when there wasn't a lot of data, we were pretty biased, right? Yeah, so I mean, you have to be very thoughtful about the tools we work because they can encode that bias or, you know, I think some of the promise of why people have gone into some of these algorithms, I mean, you look at the 
sentencing algorithms for parole, yeah. uh, you know, the, the promise of it is that maybe it reduces the bias. But um, the trouble is it puts it into kind of a black box sometimes. Yeah, and you so don't know why it's making the decision. You don't know why it's making the decision. And, you know, if it wasn't very, very carefully designed, like maybe it is making these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, yeah. right? It's and even if it was closing. carefully designed, sometimes it's hard to predict. It's hard to predict, yeah. So, uh, so it's a really tough question here of if we were already biased, we want to be better than that. Maybe these tools can help us, but like what, what do they need to be to, make, to actually yeah. make them helpful? And I think the good thing is I think there is a growing awareness of this in, the, in our field and then even in the press and the public conversation, I think there's an awareness of how important this is. So yeah. you know, hopefully that means that more and more people work on it and care about it, we'll, we'll get some better answers of what this should look like. Yeah. And I mean, definitely with what, what you guys are doing, I, I think that's a, that's a really positive sign of like a thoughtful mm-hmm. approach to this. So, I mean, kind of putting a bow on all this, you've done some really great work here with the natural language processing and what you guys do at Primer in general. I mean, what's, what's next? Yeah, I guess there's, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to choose which one to talk about. So um, <laughs> I think one area that's kind of more on the research side, I think one thing that's very exciting with the kind of recent models that have come out and uh, possibilities there. So we've been looking more and more at kind of abstractive text generation. So this is Mm. using models that can actually generate sentences and phrases and do summarization. So this is an area that, you know, historically, there are some super fun kind of AI generated novels and poetry out there that are like super wacky (laughs) and, you know, slightly bonkers. Um, And then uh, there's some research papers where you can kind of see like, hey, there's a little bit of promise, but it's pretty noisy. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've been trying to play around with, you know, are there there places where we could actually start to commercialize pieces of this tech? And I think actually we're getting to the point where we're feeling a little bullish that there may be something there. Yeah, I think we're super excited about what's going on in the so the natural language generation side, so kind of going back to the, the conversation we were just having, there's a ton of reasons to be very, very careful and, and think about how to use this well, but I think there's a lot of opportunity too. And then I think, you know, that's on the research side. I think for me, you know, more broadly, like I think when I think of some of our kind of biggest social problems at the moment, I mean, we're in a time of kind of very kind of challenging politics yeah. and a lot of division and <laughs> um, yeah to put it lightly I think you know as kind of concerned and curious individuals I think we live in a time when it's it's very hard to get a broad view of what's going on and to have a perspective on the world where like I understand why my cousins on the other side of the country have such a different perspective on different kind of political issues yeah. than I do. Or even, so I'm English, although my accent hides it slightly, but <laughs> um, in England there's an incredible division over the Brexit question What's right that? Now. I haven't heard of that. You've not heard of that, yeah. It's very um, topical for us as we're talking about this. Who knows what's going to have happened in like three weeks. Right, right. Yeah, huge divisions. And, and it's often incredibly hard to know why people could have such different views than we do. Yeah. And... These are very, very complicated questions. I think for us, like one of the things that, that's been interesting is we're getting to work with understanding large corpuses of news data, for example, being able to use algorithms to contextualize and compare and contrast different content and stories. Mm-hmm. And my hope is we can figure out more tools that, that can at least contextualize, like help you understand like, you know, how does my view compare to others? 
And I feel like there has to be some kind of tooling, some kind of framing here to help us as individuals kind of cope with this onslaught, <laughs> onslaught of perspective and opinion and division. But um, that's what I find myself musing about and kind of wondering about the most. So uh, AI-powered bubble popper? <laughs> bubble popper, that would be cool. I like that. I like that. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll let you have that. But uh, Amy, thank you so much for taking this time. I'm super excited about what you guys are doing here. I think it's, it's super mm-hmm. important work, and I look forward to talking to you in the future to see what you guys do. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And rate us on your favorite podcast app so other people can find us and talk to you next time. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. Sumo Logic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. Sumo Logic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.